Welcome to the last episode of Superfad, a podcast by Stuff. I'm Laura Walters. And I'm Katie Kenny. In this seven-part podcast series, we've delved into the weird and wonderful world of trends. We've mapped our DNA, worn waist trainers, invested in cryptocurrency, and today... We're coming to you from a tiny house. Yes, that's actually where we're recording this episode right now, which would explain some of the wind in the background and the birds chirping. So do bear with us for the audio quality. This is probably the most fun we've had as part of the method part of this podcast series. Um, And it was actually really difficult to track down an available tiny house in the wider Wellington region. But we eventually found this place on the outskirts of Martin, where we've stayed for the last couple of nights. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later on, where we also check in with Keith and Jen Lovelock, who are the builders and the owners of this colonial-themed tiny house in Martin. We'll also be chatting to James Innes, who has built his own tiny house from shipping containers in Wellington, and he now lives there full-time with his wife, Kimberley. Later on, we will hear from the National Party's housing spokesperson, Judith Collins, who says they might suit some people's lifestyles, but she has far too many clothes to make the move into a tiny house. So my unit in Wellington is actually pretty small. It's around 60 metres squared, but it's not really a tiny house. So do you know what defines a tiny house? Are there specific dimensions? Well, there's nothing set in stone, but the label is applied to homes generally smaller than about 46 metres squared or 500 square feet. And people move into tiny houses for all kinds of reasons, as we've discovered, some of them environmental, some of them financial, or just for the pleasure of living more simply. A lot of people say it gives them freedom and flexibility in their life. And there's a great quote from The New Yorker where people said that aside from big homes being wasteful and environmentally noxious, they also lock people into a debtor's prison. Keith, the Martin local who built this colonial-themed tiny house, reckons the trend has existed in the United States for about a decade and has just reached our shores a couple of years ago. And a tiny house isn't just a home, fans say. It's a state of mind. It's a physical representation of minimalism, a stripping back of material possessions to those which serve a purpose or bring you joy. And while researching for this episode, we found it quite difficult to figure out exactly how many tiny houses there are in New Zealand because they're often built in violation of building codes. And some say the growth of the movement has actually been held back because it can be hard to find a place to put tiny houses. Like any new trend gathering steam, there are plenty of sceptics. People accuse tiny house owners of being elitist and evangelists and even tax evaders. Yeah, there have also been um, criticisms around tiny houses that they've been associated with things like crowd-related stress, which in some extreme cases can lead to increased rates of domestic violence and substance abuse. And when children are involved, small spaces can affect their ability to concentrate and study and their sense of privacy as they get older. Fortunately, we found our couple of nights in a tiny house more relaxing than stressful, thanks to the wide open spaces, the bird song, and the forced logging off from emails, calls, and texts. Yes, that was that was unexpected. That was a bit of a surprise, but I've been enjoying it. We have no reception here. To give you a mental picture of where we are, we headed north from Wellington, turned off the state highway after Martin, drove along these farm-lined roads for a little while, turned off at a letterbox which had an Airbnb sticker on it, passed a yellow submarine nestled among trees, 
and then wound our way up the driveway uh, where we came to a house. And it was at this point that we realised we had lost all phone reception. (laughs) But luckily when we knocked on the door, Keith answered it. He was very welcoming and he gestured for us to follow him around the corner where he pointed up to the hill into the paddock behind their house where there was this teeny tiny little colonial cottage sitting there. It really is tiny, at just three by five metres. The first words that come to mind are quaint, and Keith says women often describe it as very cute. It took Keith and Jen about a year to build the tiny house. The project started with an old shed that was falling to pieces, and Keith decided he needed to save it, essentially. So he turned that into a little bit of a project and spent around about $8,000 and a whole lot of time putting together a den for himself and at that point his sons decided to list it on Airbnb which Keith had never heard of at that point and I guess the rest is history. The morning after our first night in the colonial tiny house we called up Keith on this wind-up Ericsson-style phone that's the party line through to the main house And he congratulated us for surviving the night and invited us down to the big house for a good coffee and a chat. Who are the kinds of people who come and stay? You seem to have a lot of locals as well who are obviously just interested in having a night or two away in this very kind of different setup. Yeah, you're quite right, Katie. There's uh, the bolt hole, let's get away out of Wellington for the weekend types. and there's the people that have been thinking about it for a year or so and they one of the partners or both of them are really keen to do it but they have no idea how and they've looked at all the YouTube videos and they've been watching TV but you can't actually get a feel for it till you actually spend a night in one really people from the digital world come here and and they realise there's no Wi-Fi and there's no TV and their cell phones don't work here and they just have to actually drop all that stuff and just actually relax and step out of the modern world but that's only this example for some for girls uh it's it usually takes them back to their nursery rhyme you know the storybook where you've got the gingerbread house and it's just the cuteness factor to it and it feels like the tiny house is giving you a big hug and it just feels very cozy for guys it's quite often oh, oh this reminds me of when i used to play with cardboard boxes we made a we made a house when we were kids or I made a tree house and it just takes them back because uh, it sort of envelops you all in one. It's a really it's a really hard thing to explain. Do you kind of have an idea of how much it might have cost you to build it? There's a lot of people on Facebook and, and a lot of New Zealand communities and the common question is uh, how much should I pay for a tiny house? And the question should be it depends if you're spending money to save time or spending time to save money. I was thrifty, so I, I spent time to save money. Basically, it was messing around for a year without a proper job. Mm. But in ma- materials and fitting out, it was eight grand. But is that worth fifty to $75,000 to me? Yes. So it depends which way you want to, want to go about it. One of the problems is, you know, we, this is discussed at tiny house conferences, um, uh, the legislation side of it. And basically, there's no legislation, so all tiny houses are built trying to get round any loopholes or 
double meanings in existing legislation. 50 years ago, you wouldn't have the quarter acre section with the lemon tree in the garden. There should be no impediment whatsoever for someone actually getting the equivalent of that um, quarter acre section and, and uh, putting six, ten, twelve um, tiny houses there, and you've got a tiny community and a quarter acre section. But there isn't any legislation that I know of that will allow that to happen seamlessly. It should be absolutely seamless so you can go and do, do that. And if you approach your local council, they wouldn't know what to do because they'd be, they're so scared central government is looking over their, their shoulder. But boy, could you solve some housing crisis issues. Anyone over about five foot nine needs to duck their head as they walk through the front door of the colonial tiny house. The interior is completely in keeping with the colonial theme. It includes a potbelly stove and a transistor radio and the phone that Katie mentioned earlier. There's also a loft bed and a little kitchenette and an even smaller bathroom, which works out to about 1.8 metres square. And to give you an idea of how small that is, Katie can sit on the toilet and put her feet into the shower. Which is made out of half of an old suitcase. One of those big old metal ones. Yeah, Keith said that he'd like to scrimp and save and be as efficient as possible. Do a bit of upcycling. So after we arrived inside the house, we poked around a little bit and we came across the guest book, which is chock full of notes and poems and thank yous to Keith and Jen. Some are from locals who were just looking to spend a night or two away from home and others were from people who had come as far as France or UK or China even. So a lot of people commented on the design and said that they spent ages marvelling at Keith's handiwork. Um, A lot of the locals were just looking for an off-the-grid kind of mini-break. Lots of people had gone there for wedding anniversaries and even one couple said that it was their wedding night. Uh, Those from overseas were particularly interested in the tiny house kind of experience and one couple from London said that they were so inspired they wanted to return home and build their own tiny house. Another couple from Hamilton said they really enjoyed the break away from big and busy city life. Next to the guest book on the shelf was a hardcover coffee table book called Hideaways. This book is filled with beautiful photographs of tiny houses and huts and basically escapes throughout New Zealand. And we soon discovered that uh, the photographer is someone that Katie knows. Yeah, his name is Sam Stutchbury. And as we flip through the pages, we realise there's something very Kiwi about tiny houses. I mean, it really fits with our desire to connect with nature and it's really not that far from our rural heritage. Yeah, where people were always tramping or hunting or working on farms and staying in, in tiny shacks or huts. And as a lot of comments in the guest book pointed out, many people use these structures as an escape or a hideaway to get away from the hustle and bustle of urban living and really get back to basics. It also really fits with uh, the millennial generation, I guess. This is a generation that probably largely can't afford the quarter-acre dream of their that their parents could, and they also don't really want to put down roots in the same way that the baby boomers did. They prefer to have that flexibility with their living, and that means they can maybe chuck a tiny house on some wheels and, and move it around the country if they desire. But fans have linked the movement way back to the mid-19th century to Henry David Thoreau's cabin at Walden Pond. 
Um, so he described his two-year sojourn there as being motivated by a desire to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life. And in 1987, Lester Walker published a book called Tiny Houses or How to Get Away from It All, which is a very fitting title. And this had photography and drawings of projects like small you know, 200 square foot prefab houses and and little shacks built on rafts. And it seems that tiny houses again became increasingly popular after the 2008 housing crash. And they've kind of stayed popular off the back of other trends such as blogging and social media and just for their representation of environmental mindfulness and restrained consumerism. Keith, the Martin owner of this tiny house, told us that he became hooked on the movement after watching videos from Kiwi YouTuber Bryce Langston. So Langston explores tiny houses all around the world and his channel called Living Big in a Tiny House has about 700,000 subscribers. If you've ever dreamed of building a unique and beautiful small space, then this is your channel. My name is Bryce, and I'm on a journey to discover the very best of small space design. But this movement isn't just for people to have a few days hiding away. People are changing their lifestyles to live in a tiny house. People like James Innes and his wife Kimberly, who live in a converted shipping container in Wellington's Eastbourne. They live in their container stacked on top of another container which acts as their workshop for their business, Tumbleweed Teas. Part of the part of the thing for having a container was because we don't own this piece of land; we're renting it. Right. Um, it, we wanted something that was semi um, removable. Mm-hmm. So, if we get kicked off, we could actually we could pick up our house and <laughs> move it somewhere Take else. It with you. Yeah, and that was really cool because land out here is super expensive. Mm. Um, but we're getting a good deal here um, renting this space um, and. Yeah, and it's not permanent, it's not forever. You know, we could move it somewhere as a holiday home or we could sell it and someone else could pick it up and take it away. Or, you know, we had a little bit of flexibility there. Right, right. So it's sort of a unique um, situation. Not everyone has that luxury of um, having the, a good location to put their tiny house. I think just the small living and you're always using less resources and you've got a, you know, more of an environmentally small footprint mm. just being in a small space. It's less to heat. Mm-hmm. There's less materials go into making it. Um, yeah, so that's the thing that we're most into. And then the container kind of just fit in with us already having a container and it meant that it's, it's a movable structure, mm. um, whereas building from scratch and making it movable would have been a bit more challenging. Yeah. yeah. So you don't mm. feel like you are pulling things out and opening and closing things and putting things away too much? Um, no. I mean, the the rolling of the bed is fine. It's like, it's easier than making a bed. You know, you just, <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a duvet and it, roll, it just rolls away. Last person out in the morning rolls the bed away. So that's cool. Um, I guess... The one thing that come, that we spend a bit of time like pulling and moving is probably the table um, because we've got that, we, we built a table and it folds away and goes behind the kitchen cabinets. Right. So that rolls out and then you have to unfold it and it's a coffee table and then if you want a dining table, you put the legs on the bottom right. and then it's a dining table. So that's like, a, I suppose, a little bit niggly, but um, it's all right. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, 
it's it's worth it i think <laughs> do you so do you think this is a long term whether it's you know in this one or with another container attached to it or something mm. or in a different section do you think it's kind of a long term way of life for you guys yeah we're two and a half years in and i and we're still really happy i think you know we don't have any kids at the moment but um if we have kids and we'd like to have kids um then i think there are there are all sorts of ideas in ways that I could imagine expanding our space mm-hmm. and having having another module, I think, <laughs> would suit us really well. And then, you know, the kids have got their space, but we've got a communal space. Whatever it is, or moving and building more modules, or mm-hmm. even if we were to sell this and start again somewhere else, I think we'd definitely be into building small. So after talking to James, we wondered whether tiny houses could maybe offer a solution to New Zealand's housing woes. We caught up with National Party housing spokesperson Judith Collins, someone who's well-versed in the housing crisis currently gripping New Zealand's main centres, to see whether she thinks tiny houses should be encouraged. There are times in our lives when a smaller house is going to be more desirable, but I also think that we live in a country with very low population density. We are, in other words, we're in New Zealand we have a greater land mass than the entire United Kingdom and we have a total population smaller than Sydney or even Melbourne. So when we look at population density we just need to understand, get, get this into perspective. Look, you know, I think there's lots of different ways in which you can house people and one of the best ways is to give them the tools to make decisions for themselves. But I'm not advocating that there be limits on um, the sizes of houses. I think it's important that people be able to make some decisions with their own money and their own lives. That's why we live in a free and liberal democracy. And you said that you have seen tiny houses on the the TV. Yes. Um, I don't watch much TV, but if I do, it's normally about housing. I I watch all sorts of things on property. But I must say, I do enjoy watching the different trends coming through. And I think that the whole concept of a tiny house or not-so-big house is certainly something that has some um, relevancy for people who don't want to spend too much or can't afford to spend too much or actually don't want to be cooking dinner every night in their home because they want to be out. But that's the reality. If you have a tiny, tiny house, you're not going to be wanting to stay in there all the time. It's going to be a place to leave your clothes, or some of them anyway, in my case. Um, That would be way too many clothes. Um, And it would be a place to um, pretty much go back and sleep at night. Judith Collins was very clear that in her current stage in life, she and her extensive wardrobe would not be downsizing to a tiny house. We also contacted Housing Minister Phil Twyford, but he was a little bit too busy building many new government houses to chat with us about tiny houses. But I do wonder, Katie, after spending a couple of nights in this tiny house, do you think you could make the move permanent or are you like Judith and you just don't think it really fits with your lifestyle? I don't think my wardrobe in particular is as big or as glam as Judith's, Um, so I would keep an open mind and possibly move into a tiny house. Um, As I mentioned, my current house where I live with my partner at the moment is pretty small, but not tiny. I quite like the size of it, so I would probably look to stay in that range. We still have a little bit of extra space, Um, but if I were building a house, I would be open to the idea because I don't really like cooking, so I'd rather have a smaller kitchen and spend much more money on 
you know, eating out and having fun in the city. But what about you? Would you live in a tiny house long term? I really like the minimalist idea behind it, but in reality, I am a little bit of a hoarder. Thanks, Mum, for passing that on. Um, so I'm not sure if it would be that easy for me, but I think I could do it if it was a means to an end. If I was living in a tiny house in order to save money to travel or to buy another property that was maybe a little bit bigger, then I think I could do it for a couple of years with my partner. But when your family starts to expand and you're thinking long term, I think it might just be a little bit too small for me. But we would definitely holiday here again, we have decided. Yes, we have loved our time in the colonial tiny house. And that yellow submarine that we mentioned at the very start of the episode is actually Keith's next tiny house project. So we think that we will have to come back once that is ready for guests. Yep, sounds like a plan. in a tiny house or are you maybe thinking about making the move? We would love to hear from you. And to read more about our experience staying in a colonial tiny house and to learn more about the movement in New Zealand, you can go to the Superfad page on Stuff. stuff.co.nz forward slash superfad. You can also join our Superfad Facebook group and tune in to our weekly Facebook live sessions where we delve a bit deeper into the trends and answer any questions you might have. You can also hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Kenny Katie. And I'm at Walters Laura. We would like to thank you so much for listening to this final episode of Superfad and for tuning in throughout the series. We would also really like to thank everyone who's been a part of each episode for offering their experiences or expertise. Superfad is a podcast made by us. Alex Liu is our technical producer and John Hardevelt is our executive producer.